into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Greetings, comrades, fellow workers, posters, reply guys, redditors, people that DM me a lot. It is I, your fearless leader, Chairman Elmao, Michael Che Guevara, Fidel, Houston Astros, and so on. You know, like people do on Twitter, the Twitter jokes. Um, it's Jake Flores. We are gathered at Assembly Caucus Committee Panel Subgroup Chapter 42069, a Twitter joke of Pod Damn America, to discuss the great project. The gears of history are oiled with blood. The tires of history are filled with breath. The handlebars of history are made out of something even more fucked up like a skeleton's ribs perhaps that would be cool for too long we have remained enslaved but soon we rise like a lion like Cecil the lion like undead Cecil the lion he's back remember him that was a long time ago wasn't it it feels weird but first we must discuss infiltration it has come to our attention that there is a rat in our midst. We must suss out with smoke and poison. And maybe like a large glue trap that the rat gets stuck in and then we realize that we didn't really think this through and now we have to do something really fucked up like smash it with a hammer or uh, drown it in like a bucket of water. And it's actually a really traumatizing experience. Something like that. But who is this rat? Who is our agent provocateur? Is it... Is Anders Lee a deep fake? Is Alex Patak an FBI plant? Is it me? Maybe it's me, I don't know. The question will be answered with blood and fire. Uh, okay, no, in seriousness. Um, listen, tankies. <laughs> listen, uh, anime avatar people. Obviously, we enjoy your listenership. And I take your criticisms of the show into account. Um, but today's episode centers around Hong Kong. And I wanted to follow up with a guest that we had on recently uh, to talk about Hong Kong. Because, you know, this show has kind of two gears. I, um, you know, if we're going to talk about fucking stand-up comedy or something or you know movies or tv something that i've got like a pretty uh, uh sophisticated grasp on you know well then i'm gonna i'm gonna explain that sort of shit to you um you know but other times like when it comes to something that i don't, I don't have the fucking time or uh background 
to really be an authority on. I have guests on that sort of explain things to me, and um, I do my best to, you know, make sure I'm not platforming anything, uh, you know, oh, dangerous or whatever. Um, is if, uh, you know, that's uh, a huge problem. There's pretty much, there's one type of guest I wouldn't platform. That's basically it. Maybe two. Nazis and pedophiles? Maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, Nazi pedophiles. Wait a minute. That's a podcast idea. <clears throat> okay, so. Um, I had this guy come on to talk about Hong Kong and um, and why people in Hong Kong are protesting against their government. And um, I thought it was pretty illuminating. He's an interesting guy. And... Uh, you know, I, I, I did my best to follow what he was talking about and to sort of, uh, you know, learn from there, do further research, brush up on the situation. And uh, I think it was a pretty good episode. It was behind the paywall. It was on our um, Patreon. Obviously, if you're hearing this, it's been unlocked. Uh, it was so good that I decided to unlock it because um, it was a good, like, primer, I think, on how the Hong Kong protests came about. <clears throat> and predictably, anytime you talk about China, right, um, tankies get pissed off. And, uh, you know, I don't need to use the T-slur, but we're going to a lot in this show. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but the reason that, uh, that I wanted to follow up with this guy is because after this happened, and after I had some people reach out to me, reach out to me, yell at me, whatever, <laughs> about, you know platforming someone who was supposedly uh, promoting like a CAI PSYOP um, I just decided to look into it you know this whole show is about curiosity and learning things right a lot of people hit me up and go how, how dare you how could you you know take the stance I usually love pod damn America but but good lord you've gone to the other side right um, and then I just responded and said hey you know that your point of view is valid, I'll look into it. Like, I want to get on all sides of this thing. And everyone involved was prepared to fight with each other. Uh, all went, oh, I didn't realize you would answer like that. Yeah, dummy. Um, <laughs> why would I be competitive about this? It's like, uh, clearly you're coming from a, a place of skepticism. And, um, you know, and that's good, right? So, um, I looked into it, you know? And, um... I think what we have here with this conversation between me and Matt and, uh, you know, and the, the considered viewpoint of the tanky here is a pretty healthy, um, discussion. I came to the conclusions that I'm going to come to and Matt clearly has, and you guys have too. And, um, I don't think you're right. And we'll explain why as we talk about this, um, I do understand the impulse to look at any any action against a uh, a communist state and assume it must be, you know, a one to one sort of um, analogous thing to like a uh, you know a South American coup, like a like a Chile Allende Pinochet thing. Sure, I mean those things are you know those those things happened and they're horrible. And they're true. Um, but I also think in terms of this China thing, it's a lot more complicated. There are multiple actors involved. And, um, you know, and also there's agent provocateurs on all sides. So if you saw a video of uh, a bunch of protesters waving around American flags, well, 
you know, who's to say who planted them there? Or why they're waving the flag in the first place? They might, you know, these people are starved for information themselves, so they may not necessarily be CIA plants. In fact, if they were CIA plants, why would they be waving the flag of, you know, like it was kind of obvious, right? Um, so there's a lot going on here. There's also the fact that, you know, what these people are fighting for is democracy, not necessarily capitalism. They're fighting against a corruption within their government. Um, and so, I don't know. I think it's a little bit... Um, I, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to, uh, to necessarily side with the PRC, the People's Republic of China, on this. Um, just because, you know... Anything that isn't uh, that is opposed to American imperialism must be good, right? It's a lot more complicated than that. Um, I also think that uh, you know I, I did take into account some of the information that you guys sent me about this, and um, a lot of the news sources that uh, are publishing pro Chinese police stuff. Um, they're a little suspect. There's um, a publication called Mint News that, you know, publishes republishes a lot of RT stuff, which is in itself a complicated outlet. Um, there's, uh, you know, supposedly this organization called the NED is, is the main suspect here. The person that's, or the organization that's sending, you know, spies in to sort of like drum up a little revolution or I'm sorry the revolution uh, whatever whatever the fuck this thing is um, in a, an attempt to destabilize China for the purposes of you know the US government or something um, it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility uh, but I'm skeptical and also you know as much as I'm against most everything that the American government does there's a possibility that there's a situation in which, you know, something is going on, and still, that doesn't mean that these people are not protesting for a good reason. Um, that doesn't mean that they're not being oppressed, right? So, there's a lot of angles here. <laughs> um, but I don't think that, uh, you know, a big fucking left infight over this is uh, a great way to go about it, especially because it's like, fucking, none of us really know what the hell's going on, right? Um, I like my guest quite a bit, but I also don't know who the hell he is, really, you know? <laughs> There's a, a lot of moving pieces here, so I think that uh, we should all just be adults and listen to these uh, various voices in this conversation and, you know, make an educated decision for yourself. Um, you know, maybe this, maybe this was a waste of time. Maybe you thought, oh, fuck this, I'm never listening to this podcast again. Well, that's fine, you know? At the end of the day, I'm not gonna like change my beliefs just to just to get five dollars out of you or uh, sell you a my pillow. I don't know. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's the show this week. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed our last episode, this is a follow up. I'm gonna talk to Matt a little bit more about the strike, the general strike that happened, and um, I don't know, just uh, how my thoughts on this have evolved and what the future of all this is. All right, enjoy. Hi, <laughs> um, welcome back. I'm glad, I'm glad we're doing this follow-up. Um, I meant to do it um, 
well, not earlier, but I just I, I hesitated a little bit to uh, I took my time with this with following up since we last talked because um, I wanted to get my head around what's going on in Hong Kong before I really uh, dove into you know platforming anyone or reporting on it because I did get a serious not a serious but you know, I got a pretty genuine. Uh, challenge from some listeners who are, I mean, there's no other way to put it, they're fucking tankies, you know, um, for reporting on this, and I, um, I really wanted to, like, sit down and, uh, understand why, and just, and not just, like, um, go by some ideological macro playbook and go, well, you're this, and I'm that, and yada, 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 and so, um, I don't know. I looked into this and I did a little homework and you know, I was I guess I was worried because people who like this show and and said, you know, oh, I like everything you put on this show except for oh my god, how did how could you, you know, how could you do this one thing um seemed uh to be accusing me of, you know, platforming some sort of like CIA propaganda in um, you know, having someone or any journalist or whatever um speak in uh in favor of the protests against the Chinese government. Um, and you know, I didn't, I, I thought, I thought I was probably right about it, but I wanted to, um, wanted to get, do my homework and make sure. Cause you know, like I, this is, this is abstract stuff to me. It's literally the other side of the world, you know? Um, it's, but honestly, the more I read about what's going on in Hong Kong, and the more I read about the history leading up to it, you know, it it seems to me that what's going on, there's you can see the forces leading into to how we got here. And I think I think where the tankies are coming from when they talk about uh, this being like definitely a CIA operation, um, they're like overcorrecting a little bit. You know, it's easy to grow up in America and read Howard Zinn and suddenly you know, sort of become like, um, an iconoclastic thinker and think, well, I, I, the wool has been removed from my eyes. And now I understand that literally everything has, uh, that has ever, um, happened that's bad is an act of the American government or that there's, you know, historically just these two sides. And, and, um, I guess what I'm getting at is that there are multiple actors in the world. It's everything can't just be, um, the CIA and Chile and Pinochet. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I looked into, like, um, this organization called the NED that is supposedly, you know, behind, um, like, fueling the protests and using them, sort of color revolution. Um, it's, it all seemed very, like, spurious to me. Um, I... That's being generous. Jake, just as a meta on that, um, I think we're all, like, the strange thing about this between the tankies and the non-tankies is that a lot of the media, like, so something like Grey Zone or Mint, probably does really good work in places like Latin America or even the Middle East where they embed themselves, talk to local people, speak the language or work with translators. But for the coverage uh, predominantly from uh, reporters or journalists from these outlets has been not up to the standard, I think, that they have 
held themselves to in order to go toe to toe with the you know the mainstream media that uh, they have worked so hard to debunk in, in in several areas where I think probably I would agree with them. In Hong Kong, what they've done is they've mostly relied on third-hand Twitter accounts. They will uh, post selective photos of, of much larger protests. They're not interviewing people on the ground, nor are they trying to find third-party contacts to do it for them, which would be pretty easy in Hong Kong. There's a significant uh, population uh, our age who can speak English. If they wanted to hire a freelancer, it would be easy enough. And I think that for something like Gray Zone or Mint Press or um, uh, some of these figures, you know, I am all for them trying to look for um, uh, connections to CIA or to uh, larger state actors acting um, for um, interests that benefit their their statecraft and 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 so on. But it's not up to the standard, I think, that they've set for themselves. So yeah. I think for, for any of these debates, that would be the first step. If, if you want to try to prove these things, hold yourself to the standard you do in the Middle East or, or in Latin America, where you have done good work. But you're not holding yourself to that standard in Hong Kong, and therefore I can't you know, really respect, as you said, journalism that I too find uh, spurious and and you know, even more bluntly disingenuous. Yeah, Mint Press was one of the ones that I looked into that, you know, if, if you look up uh, what they do, you're exactly right. They have sort of a more, um, uh, what's the word? I don't know. They, they just do better work when it comes to their focused areas, um, different parts of the world. But it seems, um, I think that it's healthy to be skeptical when you read places like this, especially when you read about, you know, their interests they often uh just republish like rt and rt is a thing that is complicated and i wouldn't say is one thing or yeah. the other you just know that it has certain interests right so mm -hmm. i guess the or tell us sir right right tell yeah us, sir, also is complicated yeah and so the, to me the lesson in like this whole big loop i just went through with talking to you and then talking to tankies and then like looking into you know why mint press writes about this a certain way uh, why other outlets write about it in a certain way is that like if you are a tanky and you are someone who is um, concerned that this story is being told um, disingenuously through the American media, you're not wrong for being skeptical. Uh, that's what we sh all should be. It's just that we should be skeptical about everything we read. And there are like multiple players in this that are all um you know, being truthful to, like, certain degrees or whatever. So that's why this is, like, so complicated and interesting to me. Um, I think you can't really take <laughs> yeah. anyone's word for it. Just you would be a rube, you know? There's no one that's um, really, uh, <laughs> like, on the face completely trustworthy when you're trying to figure out what's going on, <laughs> on the ground here, which is I, why I, I like right. talking to people on the ground. Well, I was there um, last week, and I think sort of... Can I highlight just a couple key points and we can keep sort of uh, free balling it? Please do. Is that all right? Go for it. So something to keep in mind, I think, for tankies, and I think we, we do this often, and I think it's, to be honest, something that we've been indoctrinated by in the mainstream media. <laughs> we think of Hong Kong as like capitalism. That's not the lives of 95% of the people. 95% of the people are getting the shit kicked out of them, just like people in the U.S. They can't afford housing. They live with their parents. They can't find a job worth a damn, and they don't know what their future is going to be. 
again, much like probably most of the listeners of, of your show or my show. Right. Um, and so when we associate Hong Kong with capitalism as sort of a slur, we, can, we should absolutely try to destroy Hong Kong's tycoons who are vicious and evil and have um, grown neoliberal monopolies that dominate the people who live there. Uh, as I was saying on Grubstakers the other day, you know, it's like from the food you buy to the gas that you put in your car to the electricity in your house to the rent in your apartment that might all be owned by one uh, billionaire. Um, but the people in Hong Kong, that doesn't make them capitalists. That makes them victims of capitalism. Right. And being a victim of capitalism is a big reason why you're out in the street punching cops in the face because you don't feel like there is a future for you. Um, there's another, the just I to would, interrupt you for a second, that there's no, something that uh, I think it happens so often and it's like, you know, really left over from like Cold War rhetoric in this country that's so simple, but it's it, it's a slick trick that gets used so often is that because these people are fighting for democracy, they're being framed as fighting for capitalism. And right. uh, those things don't exist on like a binary, you know? Um, yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, just, and it's, you know, technically they're fighting against the Chinese government, which is communist, but it's, I don't know. I think people are trying to just, uh, distort the narrative with that. And the other thing is that like, um, so there are some videos that people on the other side of this argument will share where they go, you know, look at this. There are, there are some people protesting in Hong Kong who are waving American flags and like singing the national anthem and stuff. And I, you know, I don't know whether I believe that those people are genuinely doing that, whether they're plants or whether they are just waving the flag in the name of mm. democracy and not in the name yeah. of like imperialism and capitalism. Cause you're also talking about people that, you know, like we uh, talked about last time, are only fairly recently radicalized so to you know it's very entirely likely that that their messaging could be like confusing like that and not completely articulate yeah i mean to to build on a couple points there when you call someone a capitalist for the most part capitalism is something that's done to us you don't want to be a capitalist i don't want to be a capitalist it's the condition that we are put under by people in power who want to rule us. So calling someone a capitalist is a slur, I think is very ineffective because we're all victims of capitalism. Likewise, democracy, especially in a post-colonial context, which Hong Kong is, because for many people in Hong Kong, they've never been able to decide what they actually want. Um, they were, they've always been kept off as a separate area by the British, and then they were handed over to the Chinese like a, like a bounty you know, which is, is very disgusting if you think about it. Democracy typically in the American context is something we do to people as a methodology for either settler colonialism or extractive capitalism. It is actually quite rare when people say, this is something we want. We are not being democratized, which again, I think press that does a good job in Latin America or, or the Middle East has pointed out the, the hypocrisies and violence that the U.S., commits in the name of quote-unquote democracy when they democratize a nation, be it Afghanistan, Iraq, or, or uh, so on. But when people on their own independently are demanding something, 
uh, outside of whatever government uh, or whatever power controlling them says is within the parameters of what's acceptable, that is an interesting moment in history. And then I guess the third point, the little thing that I wrote down um, as just sort of an olive branch to tankies is read someone like John Holloway or James C. Scott, who I think are very sympathetic to sort of communism while interrogating it intelligently, where this is a radical moment in history where you have anarchists, conservatives, liberals, a bunch of people who'd never, you know, if they got in a conversation at a bar, they'd get in a fist fight. But they're all out in the street protesting against uh, uh, Hong Kong government that works hand in hand with uh, capitalism, protesting against police. If you're a tanky and you believe in things like the Russian Revolution or you believe in these sort of opportunistic moments of history, Hong Kong is a very interesting moment for the left because no one knows where it's going. No one controls it. No one's defined what its future is going to be. That's a really good point. yeah, if you just spoke, Jake, did, did that bring something to your head that you wanted to... Oh, no, I, I mean, all it, it brought to my head was to comment on, like, the the tanky theory of this is probably that that there is a, a deliberate place that it's going and that it's, you know, capitalist imperialism or it's in some way advantageous decided, to the U.S. Though, right? Yeah. I'm not being um, a- angry with... That's just how I talk, Jake. But that, that's not been decided, and I think so if I was a tanky... And I'm very interested in the Russian Revolution or at times things like Gezi Park or the Arab Spring. Um, and obviously those have elements of neoliberalism and, and complications, though I, from my understanding of the Arab Spring, a lot of that is organic. Um, history is not decided. And to have this sort of fatalistic attitude, even if there are elements that are... are um, less than pure. There's never going to be a pure 100% revolution. History has showed us that. So to, to write it off in this sort of fatalistic way, um, so like someone like Karl Tsa, for example, if we do truly believe in sort of communism, talk to people in Hong Kong about the communism that you want. And I think that that is another separate discussion that should be happening more on the left of, okay, well, what is is what's going on in China communist? Absolutely. I would... I would say no. I would say it's state capitalism. I would say recent violence by uh, Xi Jinping's administration against labor organizers and activists does not place it within a project that we would consider communist. But let's say you're a tanky. You you really do believe, or and I don't like that derogatory term. Let's say you you're very committed to the, the project of communism, uh, broadly speaking. Talk to people in Hong Kong. Say, look, hey, you know, this is interesting. You're out in the street. You're fighting cops. What do you want? Here's what I want. Is there anything we have in common? And if you do that in good faith, you know, without being a dick, and your podcast, at least from what I've heard, you're not a dick. Surprisingly, I think (laughs) that's, I thought that's how you had to make it in Brooklyn podcasting. But if you do that in good faith, people are going to be happy to talk to you. We're all these alone, atomized individuals. I love when people come and talk to me, as, as long as it's something where they're not out, they want to actually have a conversation about who we are, what we want, and what's the future we're trying to build. Yeah, I agree 100%. And um, I think I have a clearer picture of the whole thing now. And so with that, can you um, update us a little bit on what has happened since we last spoke? Because uh, the last time we talked, it was right before this general strike was supposed to happen. And um, I don't know, there's been some interesting developments since then. 
Sure. So, I mean, I, I, I'll basically try to highlight memes. <laughs> Tell me so about them the uh, taking down that facial recognition right. tower and shit. That was pretty cool. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, that's, again, for people who are committed to communism, that's very connected to Xinjiang. So Hong Kong, being as close as it is to China, is very aware of mechanisms of surveillance that have been implemented within the Chinese state. And so how a lot of people were referring to these towers was in reference to Xinjiang, where now I think there's fairly well verified reports of, of basically uh, um, a Muslim uh, majority group. They've lived in that area for hundreds and hundreds of years. It should really be considered a separate state. For many years it was. It was called East Turkmenistan. They're put under surveillance. And so um, as Jacques L.U., the French weirdo, French people, they're not like Marxists or anything. They're just weirdos. Like every time I read a French philosopher, they're just weird. But <laughs> these towers essentially, if you talk to the Hong Kong government, they would say that they were contracted locally in Hong Kong. So they're not made in China. They're not affiliated with uh, Chinese technological companies, but they do have surveillance capabilities. So they are able to read license plates. They are able to use video functions to surveil people. Now, the company that was in charge of those uh, says that they were disabled. But why I brought up Jack LU is basically if there's a component of a technology that can be used, it will be used. So I am on the side of the protesters who, who pulled those down and sort of, I don't really think it was part of any sort of strategic campaign per se. Um, I think it was more just a generalized anger um, at the, the Hong Kong government. Um, so I don't think it's part of some larger long-term strategy. I just thought it was pretty Gen cool. Yeah, no, it is really cool. I mean, I think that um, also I think uh, our social oh, our social credit scores are going down just talking about this. This I don't know. I mean, that is a whole other thing. But um, I think that th these sorts of questions about like doing these acts against infrastructure that we don't control is very interesting and. More of us, to be honest, as leftists, we have these really fun theoretical discussions about the girl who's kind of hot who talks about praxis or how <laughs> Joe Biden is sundown. Well, no, she's an attractive woman. I, I won't bring her. <laughs> her appearance doesn't matter. But the woman, she's a funny comedian, too. So the funny comedian who did the praxis video or Joe Biden sundowning. And, you know, when these sort of questions about what is the physical makeup of capitalism look like? It's those fucking lampposts that are built into within surveillance functions that sort of allows the state to have a better, better technology with which to manage its subjects. So, I mean, those lampposts, even though it's a cool meme, as you said, I think speak to larger concerns that the Anglo left should be talking about more. Because to be honest, most of the time we just talk about these abstract political things, not who's controlling my internet cable who is putting in surveillance cameras and why am I not doing anything about it? Because that's how you end up not being able to sort of decide your future when everything has a camera and you're monitored everywhere and ICE agents know where you are at any given time. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, but I would uh, go as far as to say why not both. I think we can do both of those things at sure. the same time. No, sure. I'm just saying I'd like more of that. Sure. No, I'm not, I'm not saying we have to become... Uh, anarcho-syndicalist Elon Musk. So I'm just saying <laughs> that um, 
it'd be nice to have more of that. So anyway, that was something that happened this past weekend. When I was there two weekends ago, it was sort of the weekend of peace. So the frontline protesters basically have this attitude that nonviolent protest doesn't work um, and are trying to, I guess you could say, bring the Hong Kong government to the negotiating table through sort of fatigue and desperation. That's showing them that unless they're willing to kill these kids, and I think because of reasons of capital, because of reasons of PR, they don't want to do that. They don't want to turn this into Tiananmen. The frontline protesters have this attitude that they're going to have this war of attrition with the government where they'll keep arresting protesters, they'll keep beating them in custody, putting them in black sites, torturing them, sexually assaulting them, allegations of rape now against uh, the police as well. Um, but they're not going to break. And so the weekend I was there, um, the, the worst thing that happened was a beanbag gun was fired um, at the uh, at the protest section I was at. There was a weekend of peace where they basically said to the government, this is your moment, we're not going to do anything violent. And that was the march where they had 1.8 million people out in the streets marching continuously in one of the busiest sections of Hong Kong. That moment passed, and we're back again to, as you said, pulling down lampposts, getting into fistfights with police, using bats, uh, poles, uh, metal rods against police, um, throwing petrol bombs, but there's some talk about if that was an undercover cop, it's not clear. And what we're looking at for um, next week is that there'll be another general strike, this time two days on September 2nd and September 3rd. Um, so if, if Hong Kong is able to pull that off, it will be quite interesting. It will be um, not only sort of an attack on the, um, the mechanisms of security that the state can offer, but perhaps more importantly, uh, it's capitalism. If they can bring that city to a halt even for a day, Hong Kong is one of the major centers of financial capitalism and money in general in Asia. And every day you can shut Hong Kong down is going to cost people billions of dollars. And those billionaires will then talk to both the Hong Kong government and the people they have close connections to in Beijing to say, what are we gonna do? And then in that sort of moment of crisis, you'll have sort of a, a debate between the hawks and the doves, I guess, to use a crass metaphor of, okay, do we send in the PLA? Do we up the police violence? so on and so forth, yeah. or do we sacrifice uh, the leader of Hong Kong, Carrie Lam, do we withdraw this extradition bill, do we sort of bide our time, and then again try to sort of boil the frog of Hong Kong, again, so, you know, later down the line, five years, ten years, again begin our process of reintegrating Hong Kong into China, if such a thing is possible. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It seems like there's a number of different outcomes that could happen, but like, I guess my understanding is that China se seems like in a different life would like to just bring in the you know the the tanks and shit and just crush the whole thing, but that would look really bad on the world stage right now, um, which is why they were like hiring triads and stuff, and you know there's all these undercover police and stuff, but uh, but that because th that would be such bad optics that leaves sort of space for these protests to actually get some of the goods, I guess. Does that make any sense? 
Um, I think it's it's sort of an issue of uh, capital flight. China wants Hong Kong to remain an international center of finance, also because so much money is in Hong Kong property. If you damage that property, basically you, you're going to lead to huge amounts of capital flight. Oh, the property interesting. Bubble, Hong Kong's in the middle of a property bubble. If that property bubble bursts, so if you send in tanks and they're blowing mortar holes in the sides of buildings, huge amounts of people are going to sell their property or you'll see a huge um, uh, flight of demand and Hong Kong property prices will plummet. You'll send numerous people who've invested in property in sort of the petty bourgeois or middle class level of income lose their life savings. And you actually have the risk of sending Hong Kong further into anarchy because if you make a property bubble burst in the middle of a protest, all those people who are liberals right now because they own their home, if you cause that property bubble to crash and you know maybe they've invested in a second home but they have a, a crippling mortgage in the event of a property bubble bursting, all those people who see their life savings go down the drains maybe then go out into the streets. Wow. Whereas before it was just the kids. So I think that what you're seeing, especially if it's coming from white dudes, basically in Hong Kong, you should have 70, we'll follow Mao Zedong's uh, description from Deng Xiaoping. 60% people who can speak Cantonese and read Chinese, and then 40% journalists who uh, maybe they can't, but they're, they're doing their due, due diligence. I think the, the reports about Shenzhen and uh, the PLA are a bit overblown. It's too soon to tell. And uh, I think the Hong Kong journalists, particularly numerous female reporters on the ground, and I say that not as some Me Too, woke, leaning, yes queen ploy. <laughs> I, it's just from the journalists that I've seen, the women really are incredible. So people like Mary Huey, Isabella Steger, Elaine Yu. Yeah, I heard um, an interview with Elaine Yu recently. Uh, yeah, I, I, I bugged Michael Brooks until they that was their bribe to get me to shut the fuck up because I kept <laughs> saying, get someone on from Hong Kong. But uh, anyway, I mean, that's my take on the PLA, that if they do that, basically you lose Hong Kong's viability as a financial resource and you might have a situation where you increase the radicalism from you know a small hardcore contingent to people at that point, they have nothing to lose because their life savings are now down the drain. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes perfect sense. Um, so you said uh, that there's a second general strike in the works. Did the, can you tell me about the first one? Did it did it go off? Uh, I mean, did it function in the way it was intended to? It went off. Um, my understanding of it was that it was just numerous sort of trade groups. Um, I don't think you had like what we would consider in sort of classic leftist terms, like a general strike where it's sort of a hardcore sense of class identity uh, or a hardcore sense of uh, unions banding together with a general mm, class consciousness shared between them. What it seemed like to me, and I do need to do more digging on it, was that various sectors would just shut down. So that could look at a very small level, like a coffee shop says, um, everyone's sick today, come back later. And you'd see that on sort of a mass scale of uh, in these independent businesses. You would also see that occasionally for larger businesses where they would um, uh, sort of imply through sort of official sending emails that if people called in sick, 
they wouldn't investigate it too much. So from the outside looking in, I wasn't in Hong Kong at the time, but from what I could tell from um, now having been in Hong Kong, seen the protests, and just my general sense from doing research on this for a while, I think it could be considered more of like a general citywide strike. So basically a, a large contingent of people in the city don't show up for work, various businesses close, uh, important sites within the city are strategically picketed. They may or may not have relation to capital, but it shouldn't be thought of as a general strike in the leftist sense of we're striking with a deliberate notion of class consciousness and there's sort of interunion solidarity united against the capitalist class. Class consciousness against um, a state that because of its relation to capitalists has become an enemy of the people. So again, it's like that thing for people who are communists. It's not at the point where there's like a very strong class consciousness. It is at the point where it can shut down huge sections of the city or functionally shut down city infrastructure, such as airport protests or shutting down the legislative um, uh, council, LegCo. Yeah. Um, it, but it's not at the point where we could, like, Bhaskar Sankara could drop down and, and, you know, be handing out Jacobins to everyone right. in the crowd, and they'd say, oh, I already have a subscription, Bhaskar, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, I guess it's kind of interesting to me, because it's like a Marxist tool being used for not necessarily Marxist ends, but just simply yep. for just more of a disruption in a flat sense, which still, still serves the end of uh, what's going on here, which is just sort of like a you know a basic revolt on some level okay cool um let's see is there anything else that you would like to get to uh, i don't want to go too long today um sure um i think the only other thing that would be interesting for people who are leftists or maybe your anarchist listeners is um there is a phenomenon a phenomenon now that's freaking the protesters out where um I think it might be COINTELPRO. I'm not sure. My dad will tell me stories because he was, you know, pretty close to radical protesters in the 60s. But um, there are these sort of cops who've posed undercover as protesters and then all of a sudden will spring a trap and brutally arrest people. And so now within the frontline protesters, who are the people who are at the front, who will face off with cops, who will throw bricks at them, who will fight them, um, there's a big fear about who is and isn't a cop. And so it's sort of like, um, I think the term is like a phantom mole. I think Adam Curtis has talked about that before, hmm. where the most devastating thing you can do if you're police or uh, counterintelligence is you plant the notion within a, a very strong, hardcore, tight-knit group that people are spooks. And so that issue is having a lot of uh, disharmony within the, the sort of vanguard of the protesters. So if any of your listeners have interesting ideas or they've been victims of sort of this phantom mole technique uh, from uh, state governments or from federal law enforcement, it would be interesting to hear any remedies that they've had for what do you do. So wait, a phantom mole is like not even an agent provocateur situation, but just the suggestion that there may be one to disrupt? Yeah, like... Um, uh, I think that was um, Vladislav Surkov in, uh, in in Russia. They talk about that in, in uh, hypernormalization. But it's right. maybe for the first protest, you do use undercover cops. And then after that, you spread rumors 
that you're putting undercover cops and you just sort of let people tear themselves apart. Right. After a while, you don't even need to do anything because the, right. the information is already just, ins- okay, I got it. Um, wow. That is, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. But it's also, yeah, I mean, th- looking at this, you have to come to that conclusion. Like there, there is clearly either agent provocateur shit going on or yeah, just this, um, but it's, you know, no one can be trusted, which is why when those people showed me that, like, video of those people with the American flags, I was like, well, who cares? yeah, like, what What do you mean? <laughs> you know, what are you trying to say by this? Um, I think it's more important to look at the big picture stuff here. Cool. Can I say one other point, Jake, and then we'll, we'll wrap up? Yeah, please do. So it could get extremely messy. They're coming to a point where the chief executive of Hong Kong, Carrie Lam, has hinted that they may enter martial law. So what that would look like is, and more and more governments have this capability, we don't talk about it, because we're, you know, um, we're usually the ones doing the, the, the violence, again, as Americans. <laughs> um, but they might shut down the internet in Hong Kong. So there's talks where they might selectively target uh, various forums where the protesters organize. So they use sort of a centralized Reddit hub that's quite popular amongst young people who go to university, University there, again, it's not a class marker. We can't do these one-to-one things because we are amongst the most backwards, violent, horrific of the capitalist states. University there is subsidized. It's extremely cheap. It's not a a marker of class like it would be in the U.S. Sure. So one of the forums a lot of the hardcore protesters organize on and some of the non-hardcore ones, it's called like a Hong Kong linker. I might be getting that slightly off, but I can send you the link. Okay. And um, there's talk of shutting that down. Telegraph is this anonymous sort of bulletin board uh, application that allows people to set up private news channels where they can post very specific updates. So when I was in Hong Kong, I was I was talking to some of the, the frontline people and I said, well, you know, how do I follow where you guys are going? Because it's very organic. They decide basically on the spot. And what they said is we'll follow this telegraph channel. And they have all these private channels that are devoted to maybe one specific subsection of the protest. So one might be for supplies. And it's just protesters texting about if they're low on tear gas masks, if they're low on weapons, if they're low on body armor and so on. One might be for police movement. So how a lot of the protesters know where and where not to go is there's basically like a police, like a, a counterintelligence the protesters have set up of a police channel that says the, the eyewitness reports are the police are moving out of this police station. Don't get caught in like a pincher movement if you're at this other police station. Um, and so there's talks that they might shut down this app, Telegraph. There's talks that they might shut down the general internet. There's talks basically that for a short period of time, they'll just make Hong Kong a police state where you have to show your papers. you know basically so it could be for people who are um curious you know or you know if chapo's saying all right we've got milked as much as we can out of biden let's maybe try to do an episode on hong kong (laughs) i'm just teasing but they they should move off of biden i mean as a listener i'm getting a little sick of it um (laughs) it's something where um we could be entering the end game here where it'll either be something radically new and different and it, it might turn into one of those historic moments if it like that Lenin quote, what is it? Sometimes 
uh, years happen in days and days happen in years, something like that. We might be seeing something really historic where the state overplays its hand. Yeah. And basically protesters storm in, drag Carrie Lamb out like Marie Antoinette and off with her head. Or we might be seeing something where basically the police beat down the protesters so much that they they dissolve the front line and, and the protests gradually dissolve from there. But uh, it, it really bears watching these cryptic remarks that Carrie Lam gave recently of sort of hinting that they'll turn Hong Kong into a police state. Um, we might be entering sort of the final chess moves on a for either side. Yeah, wow. Well, um, if they're talking about shutting down Reddit, then I'm sorry, I'm on the side of the government now. I'm pro Carrie Lamb. Uh, I'm a tanky. I think they should shut down Reddit because it's the worst place on earth. I'm just kidding, Matt. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, inside joke over here. I hate Reddit. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, well, wow. Thanks for, uh, thanks for following up with us. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is all... This all makes a lot more sense the more I talk to you about it, the more I read about it. And um, our listeners definitely appreciated uh, your last episode, which I'll be um, I'll be unlocking. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought I'd let you know that, that you, I got a really good response to our last conversation. So I think this is probably good. I think this is probably, you know, like you're saying, um, something that hasn't been reported on quite enough in any of our left media. And so... Um, you know, if I can help get a little platform out while I try to follow what we're all talking about, then uh, then I will do that. Yeah, I, and um, Jake, is it alright if I just give a quick shout out to center some some non-white um, podcaster? Yeah, please do. <laughs> that's that's funny. Um, um, so um, we should. Um, yeah. Uh, so anyway. Uh, a lot of the, the best people on the ground uh, to follow in Hong Kong are the ones, like I said, who speak Cantonese. They're not always uh, ethnically Chinese. Hong Kong is a diverse uh, region with a lot of different people. It has South Asians, it has Indonesians, it has Filipinos. Um, and that's a larger question as well. And I do think that's something the protest needs to explore a little bit. What does it mean to be a Hong Konger if it doesn't want to sort of succumb to you know, the nationalist elements that it's not the American flags that you should really worry about. It's more this this notion of I'm a Hong Konger, you're not a Hong Konger, and the sort of the xenophobia and nationalism that can come along with that. And that is a real thing in Hong Kong. I think is it is in any of these mass sort of movements where a small community is going up against a much larger power that you have these notions of ethnic identity and xenophobia playing a part. Yeah. Um, but that to me is much more interesting than this American flag nonsense, which is again, very selective. So some of the people who you people can follow if they want individuals who can speak uh, and read um, Cantonese and, and uh, Chinese, Wilfred Chan uh, is, is great. He goes between the Hong Kong and the US. He actually was targeted by the far right because he put out a map when Trump got elected and said that if people of color were the only people voting, Trump would have like lost every single state. And he got hate mail for like a long time after that. You can find <laughs> it on Deadspin. Cool. Um, Rosemary Ho's really cool. I'd say for the Brooklyn podcast crew, <laughs> she would be really good to have on. She can go toe to toe with anyone. I think to be honest, she would scare the shit out of the guys on Chapo um, <laughs> because she's wicked smart and, 
you know, can hold anything you throw at her. For anarchists or people who are more anarchist adjacent, Chris Chen is doing some really interesting work of trying to get migrants and migrant labor more to to be more central or to have a larger voice within the protest. So making that something that we can link up to, again, this very mixed up, fluid movement. Um, Promise Lee is doing really interesting work in the same way, sort of asking these questions about what does it mean to be a Hong Konger? Who are we fighting for? And can we get more exploited labor front and center? And for sort of your tanky adjacent listeners, check out Hong Kong Hermit. He's doing really interesting things where like, so Jack Probasek, and I don't care if that's, everyone knows who I'm talking about. Yeah, no one knows how to say his name. No one knows and no one cares. It sounds like proboscis because he's a little you know, bloodsucker, mosquito <laughs> piece of shit. So he tried to follow uh, this guy, the Hong Kong hermit, who's this uh, white Hong Konger who goes to every single protest and live streams, doesn't edit, just leaves everything up on Periscope. Sure. And Hong Kong hermit changed his name to Jack Probasek is a racist fuck. Stop following me, you piece of shit, or something along those lines. So hermit is really interesting in that he's very close to Antifa, He's he his he faced off against that other guy Joey Bishop okay. when he was in Hong Kong. There's a very famous video in Hong Kong local media of the hermit basically just cursing out Joey Bishop until he left the rally. Um, and he's constantly pushed back on these sort of more right wing conspiracy theories uh, that individuals who who don't speak Cantonese and are selectively tweeting have tried to advance. Yeah. So I think for tankies, if they followed him, again. For people who are very committed to communism and believe in, believe in it deeply, <laughs> let's, let's not use the T slur anymore. Sure, sure. Um, he would be really interesting to follow, and I think he's someone that the more you follow him, the more you can sort of see a lot of weird contradictions in the Hong Kong protests of liberalism, leftism, anarchism, anti-fascism, all sort of coming together because he supports, you know, all those things because he has to dealing with all the different people he does, and I think he. He's a very good introduction for for the pro-communist groups to sort of explore the protests. Um, so I'd really recommend his account as well. Cool. Well, yeah, and I would, uh, yeah, I would agree. Everyone uh, should look into all these different people's points of view and their work, and um, you know, uh, t- think about what we're talking about and take it with a grain of salt if you must. Um, there's, you know, there's sure. not. Nothing dangerous. There's nothing dangerous about just making arguments and getting more information out there and uh, having our points of views, uh, you know, put out there. Um, I think conspiratorially minded people are often uh, just argues, you know, will make arguments towards like the just danger of information. And uh, I don't think there's anything. I don't think you're going to come back brainwashed if you listen to this podcast and then read some of those people's work and then think about it, you know? Right. And I, I think it's like the the danger for the left for, for sort of that component of the left is if you put all your money, all your eggs in that basket and neither you or I are doing that. I think, you know, if, if there was evidence tomorrow that this was all CIA, I'd go, okay, all right, well, that sucks. Yeah. But the dangers if you follow sort of conspiratorial thinking that's not backed up by good shoes on the ground, diligent reporting, 
is it undoes all the good work you did before. So when we're talking about these institutions, these media institutions that have done good work, they have complicated legacies and they pissed a lot of people off so we can't praise them unequivocally. But if you put a lot of your eggs in this basket because it's good for your social media or you're making revenue from listeners who really are eating up the narrative you're feeding them and it comes back that you were completely off base and that you, you hurt a lot of people because you didn't follow best practice in journalism that you normally hold yourself to, it undoes all the good work you did before. So what I'd say to those people in those spheres of media is, you know, a Hong Kong plane ticket is pretty cheap now. <laughs> no <laughs> one's going. So, you know, get, get we'll on a plane. We'll make a Patreon a tier. Sure. I'll <laughs> yeah, buy send, you a plane ticket to um, Hong Kong if you... Yeah, send these people to Hong Kong. But don't be the leftist who cried wolf and then undo all the good work you did before because not every, this is not a black and white thing. There are some elements that are bad. There's a lot more, in my opinion, that are good. But don't undo the good work you did in other areas of the world because you're not following the best practice you did to unravel those mainstream media narratives that you did before. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, hey, thanks for uh, coming back on, Matt. Um, yeah, I, blast. I will uh, put both of these conversations up, um, I think, sort of in tandem. And so it's one big thing. Um, and I'll uh, link everything in the information. And uh, it probably will cross paths again in the future, I'm sure. Don't be a stranger, Jake. I have a good uh, I have a really good time talking to you. And uh, we'd love to have you on our show in the future as well. Cool. Yeah, we'll talk. All right. Thanks, Matt. Bye, Jake. So I recorded an original PS. I'm worried it's too long, so I tried to do a shorter PS. All right. Three quick things we didn't get to in the podcast uh, with, uh, with Jake that I think are uh, good to follow up on. One, in terms of the PLA getting involved, I sent Jake a link. I think it's just sort of morbid speculation at this point. No one really knows. Um, many people don't think it would be in China's uh, long-term strategic interest to send in the PLA. Twitter is not a good source on this, generally speaking. Um, I think that any sort of speculation is just morbid, as I said, and there are sources you can turn to um, on this, and I sent Jake one that I think is good in terms of talking about the analysis of the PLA um, aspect uh, in quelling Hong Kong's protests as a possibility. In terms of the, um, the possibility that Carrie Lam will turn Hong Kong into a police state, um, shutting down internet, declaring martial law, um, making uh, sites like Facebook or Telegram uh, or other communication technologies banned or crippled. Um, I think that that is a much more likely possibility. And what's interesting is the scholar Chris Chen uh, has noted is her authority to do that, that this emergency regulations ordinance is um, uh, a holdover from British colonial times that this law was something that Britain, when it was the colonial uh, overlords of Hong Kong, had this law that they used basically um, to shed uh, whatever inconveniences jurisprudence or law um, had for them and sort of reveal themselves as the colonial sort of 
brutal, oppressive force that they were. So this law, I believe, was only used once, um, but Chris Chen is a good source on that. It was used in the 66-67 riots, um, which have interesting connotations to capital, to um, nationality, to uh, colonialism. That's a very interesting historic thread for leftists to look at. But the point Chris makes is fascinating that China is, is basically allowing Carrie Lamb to use a tool and governmental technology of colonialism as perhaps a method to quell these protests. And so that introduces a whole nother um, uh, framework of discussion and, and viewing these protests. Is this something that is sort of finally trying to exercise the demons of colonialism from Hong Kong? Why is the People's Republic of China using or um, allowing governmental methods of colonialism uh, and colonial oppression to be used. Um, so that is a very interesting thread to, to consider and think about, uh, particularly in light of the PRC's overwhelming support in state media in terms of boosting certain uh, internet users' social media profiles of those who praise the police. Chinese state media has been unequivocally supportive of Hong Kong's police offering effusive praise. And that's something I think is, is can't really be answered in a satisfactory way by those who support the People's Republic of China. It's one of the main reasons I support the Hong Kong protests is that they are protests against the police. If you side with the People's Republic, you have to be pro-police. And I'm, you know, I think that's a logical sort of um, mess that uh, doesn't really make sense in a satisfactory way for most leftists. The second thing I would say is a big reason, the meta sort of of why I wanted to appear on Jake's podcast was, uh, and other podcasts, is just to say, look, there's a whole world out there of fascinating um, ideas, technologies, criticisms from the international left, particularly in Asia. And a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to have sort of joked or gestured about Asia in a way that sort of made me feel uncomfortable as someone who's been a long-term resident here, where it's a lot of people who haven't lived here, don't know the language, don't really have skin in the game uh, in terms of the outcomes here, talking about these geopolitical issues, you know, sort of like New York Times wine moms talk about, you know, the people being unruly and, and perhaps upsetting their apple cart by voting for Sanders. The, the meta of why I wanted to appear on podcasts like this is to say, diversify the guests you bring on. And it, particularly for areas that are complicated, that evoke um, really hard to understand nuanced um, issues like the Hong Kong protests, which mix neoliberalism with colonialism, with neocolonialism, with um, state capitalism, with all these issues, um, you, you need a really nuanced understanding. And trying to read about that issue or comment on that issue on a, on a podcast, you know, from a, a newspaper article is never going to be satisfactory. You should be talking to people who uh, are from there, who speak the language, who are on the ground, who... Um, who can give you many different angles and facets. And so the, the meta, again, I'm sorry to keep saying meta, 
is that I, I, I want to be sort of help open this um, discussion, but I don't want to be the one leading it. Um, I am just sort of someone who's, whose main goal is to try to get more international leftists on programs, and it's my hope that appearing on Jake's show and a few of these other shows does that. But I in no way want to be um, uh, doing anything other than being a cheerleader for people who I think are absolutely brilliant but are not getting a very large audience with uh, Western counterparts and are not being given the opportunity to build something really beautiful and interesting with them of taking many different perspectives on the left and trying to build something truly international. So I think those would be sort of the two uh, main things. The third thing I wanted to say very quickly is just like the Hong Kong protests, I think Jake and I have talked about um, are really complicated. So is the narrative um, when we talk about China. How China sees these protests is not hegemonic. It's, it's not universally um, praised how the Chinese state is interacting or covering with the protests or um, its interactions with Hong Kong's government is sort of its uh, superior. There's a lot of people who are angry uh, with the Chinese government. There's a lot of people who disagree. Um, there's a lot of complications with being very outspoken in, in uh, Chinese social media or if you have a job that is connected to the government in some way, which is much more common in China if you're um, once you get past a certain um, uh, income, oftentimes, you know, you're going to have to uh, have interactions with the government. But there's a lot of people who, despite those sort of barriers of censorship or nervousness about surveillance, or China's quite nationalist right now in terms of its sort of popular attitude, um, for many people, you know, they're quite nationalist, they're quite patriotic. But there's still people in mainland China who are not supportive of the protests. And anyone who, you know, claims or coverage that tries to frame the Chinese viewpoint, the mainland Chinese viewpoint as hegemonic, is not telling the full story because it's always impossible in things like this to tell the full story. Um, so I think for those uh, people who are pro-PRC or pro-communist, um, that is research that is really important to look into. So if, you, if you've decided, you know, after listening to this, no, I'm still with the PRC, look at the diversity of those voices. Um, I tried to cite uh, an article that I think does a great job exploring this topic. It's from um, uh, a writer from China, Kiki Zhao, who talks about these issues in a really nuanced way, that there are people in mainland China who, who support the Hong Kong people and support uh, the protests. Um, uh, I would say that you know, anyone who is trying to do hegemonic opinions about what people think, you know, that's just a method of control. Um, and so that's really important to keep in mind, that whenever we're being told how we think or we're reading coverage that says this is how a majority of people think or everyone thinks, there's probably an agenda behind that. And so it's very important to look at a wide variety of views, pro, against, and as Jake and I talked about, 
Um, we both looked at a variety of sources, and at least for me, I, I won't speak for Jake, though I think he would concur. Um, that's why I came to support the Hong Kong protests. I looked at a wide variety of sources and opinions and came to the conclusion that this is a radical space that offers very interesting opportunities for solidarity, for rejection of the capitalist state, for direct confrontations and perhaps revolutionary potential within those confrontations against the police, against the state, against the billionaires who manage or control the state. And for me, this is a more radical opportunity than what exists on the other side of oppressing those protests um, in the People's Republic of China. When I look at the force that's opposing these protests, that's supporting the police, that is sanctioning violence against the protesters, that is demanding for a return to normalcy and eventual absorption into the People's Republic of China, I don't see revolutionary potential. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, so take in a lot of information, come to your own conclusions, and thanks for listening. Bye. So I recorded an original PS. I'm worried it's too long, so I tried to do a shorter PS. All right, three quick things we didn't get to in the podcast uh, with, uh, with Jake that I think are uh, good to follow up on.